Thanks, Dunn. Welcome back to Grand Waves, everyone. It is so nice to be here together. Look forward to this every week. So here we are. I want to tell you, I want to tell you a story. It was an intimate wedding at our local park where Andy and I take the dogs to run and where we often go to throw our crusted sins into the stream each year on Rosh Hashanah. I led a nigun and I shared a teaching from the Vilna Gaon about love. Blessings were made and vows and rings exchanged. The bride and groom stepped on a glass, triggering shouts of Mazel Tov. And like many weddings I'd done, this was just a beautiful seal placed upon a love that was meant to be, sort of. For the couple, it was their long-awaited marriage. For me, it was a heart-wrenching divorce. The bride was Jewish, the groom was not. To marry them, I had to leave the conservative rabbinate. According to my orthodox upbringing and my conservative rabbinical education, endogamy was the key to preserving Jewish tradition, ensuring the vitality of the Jewish people. Anyone who chose otherwise was assumed to be rejecting their Jewish identity and their Jewish community. But as the world changed, so did intermarriage, so did Judaism, and so did I. Society welcomes us without asking us to diminish our identities and encourages interaction across backgrounds, enabling us to live proudly as Jews in the big diverse world around us. I realized that it wasn't only inevitable that Jews would meet and fall in love with people from other communities, but that Jews would want to enjoy those relationships without sacrificing their Jewish lives. I started teaching about the evolving landscape of Jewish identity, about patrilineal descent, definitions of Jewish parenthood, same-sex marriage, non-religious conversion ceremonies, secular Jewish communities, alternative synagogues, and other Jewish innovations. The trend was obvious. Lines delineating who was in or out or what was in or out were getting increasingly blurry. Jewish diversity was growing and there was no turning back. My task wasn't to tame the energy out there and mold it to traditional standards. My challenge was and is how to harness the unmistakable, if varied, Jewish yearnings for meaning, for connection, for authenticity, and to lead them to deepened and sustained Jewish commitment, creating robust and vital Jewish communities. Before making any decision, I'm going back several years now, of course, before making any decisions, I realized that I would have to consult my spiritual partners whose understanding and respect mean everything to me. And by that, I mean mine and Andy's children. Were I to perform multi-faith or multi-heritage marriages, I couldn't allow it to undermine the messages that we had been sending to our children about the importance of them sharing their lives with someone who shared their spiritual identity and passion, raising Jewish families and talking to them about both the privilege and responsibility of carrying Judaism forward. The kids who then ranged in age from 12 to 21, they're now 20 to 29, they were all day school students or alumni to whom the matter was clear and consistent. It was my duty to embrace this couple, keeping them close to the Jewish community. You have to stay close to them, mom. You can't just turn people away because of whom they love. Capturing the shared conviction that they all felt. 
they're still Jewish and they're still part of our community. Our kids' position wasn't a signal that their sense of what we hoped for them had changed, but it pointed to the reality that as a rabbi, I had to learn to address these yearnings around us, lest Judaism become hopelessly irrelevant to the swelling numbers of multi-faith and multi-heritage families. And truthfully, before this ever came up, we'd had discussions during which our children wondered what would happen if they fell in love with someone from beyond the Jewish community. And you know what, more than anything, these talks revealed the anxiety of a generation of American Jewish youth with so much freedom, who also feel deep loyalty to their Judaism. It could happen to them, they knew, no matter how many years of day school they attended, no matter how traditional a home we had. Every conversation followed the same pattern. We, we would reiterate the importance we felt of them being able to share their Jewish lives with another. And we concluded by reminding them that being our children, we would always stand with them and want above all for them to live authentically and at peace with themselves with whomever made that possible for them. And Rabbi Gordon Tucker once listed the skills, I think I've shared this before, the skills that a rabbi needs to be successful. And he noted that what almost always fails to appear on anyone's inventory is what he calls our charge to be an ish or isha ha-Elohim, a person of God. To me, this means being present to another human being, to make manifest the singular, sacred, if messy essence of life that transcends all particular religions and identities, binding us to one another and to the divine. Our Jewish path to that revelation is rich, it's beautiful, it's precious, it's in need of reinforcement, but that continuity can take many forms. My role is to illuminate for people their own path to ensuring Judaism's future. Or, as I like to paraphrase another rabbi, the Lubavitcher Rebbe, the true teacher connects you with your God and then gets out of the way. As for me, I don't wanna get out of the way entirely, just enough to honor each person's path and to help them follow it home. Jody Bromberg has been a part of 18 Doors since the beginning of October 2013, the day that the Pew Report on Jewish Americans came out and became 
what 18 Doors was called at that time, Interfaith Families CEO in 2015. Jody has written for numerous publications, spoken at conferences, synagogues, Jewish institutions around the country about the importance of creating comfortable, inclusive spaces for interfaith families in Jewish life. Jody lives outside of Boston with her wife and three children, where she remains a diehard New York Yankees fan. And prior, prior to joining 18 Doors, Jody was a corporate attorney in the Philadelphia area and is a proud graduate of the University of Pennsylvania and the Temple University Beasley School of Law. You know, Jody, here we are sitting in uh, December, December 21st, a time that is often identified by the communities that we'll be speaking about tonight is a very sensitive time. As these days, having just come from, Han from Hanukkah, just the days before Christmas, days filled with emphasis on family and tradition, it's an important time for us to be gathering for this conversation. So I'm so happy you're here. Welcome, Jody. Welcome to Ground Waves. Welcome to Sha'ar. Thank you so much. It is such a privilege to be here. I'm so happy to be here with you, Dini, and, and with everyone uh, on this call and on Facebook Live. So Jody, tell us a little bit about the work of 18 Doors and, and why you changed your name from 18 to 18 Doors from what was, I guess, a little more self-explanatory when you were called Interfaith Family. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we are a national organization and a Jewish organization, and really our focus and our mission is to support interfaith couples and families in their exploration of Jewish life and Jewish organizations and leaders who want to welcome their institutions and themselves to interfaith couples and families. Uh, we decided to change our name because we knew that we wanted a name that represented the diversity of couples and families that we see and the journeys that they go on, the doors that they open. And we, we saw over and over again that interfaith and interfaith family wasn't, was a term that for many of them didn't resonate with them. Um, they called themselves just Jewish or multi-faith families or multicultural families or they identify with more than one religion or culture, whether that's they identify as Catholic and Jewish or Jewish and Hindu or Jewish and Muslim or Catholic and, and Christian. Um, and that, that diversity is not just about like religious identity, but it's also about their cultural identity, their racial identity, their ethnic identity. Um, and so that was really what led the charge for us to change the name is, um, you know, I was so tired of having the conversation with folks trying to convince them that they were, they should adopt the label interfaith when that wasn't a label that was resonant for them. Um, and then from there, we just went and realized that um, on the one hand, we wanted a name that was evocative of us as a Jewish organization and um, 18 being, being evocative of high uh, the, and, and life. Um, uh, the homonym of 18 doors for Lador Vador from generation to generation. So we, we wanted this name that was like that at, at its core seemed very simple, but then the more that you kind of unpeeled the layers was a little bit more complex and nuanced that was really representative of the people and the couples that we see every day. It's interesting that the, um, the sensitivity to language that you that you speak about, I've long felt that we are somewhat impoverished in the language we use to have this conversation. So I'm, it's interesting that the people you work with felt that the 
the term interfaith was really not reflective of the lives they were leading. I, I myself have started to use multi-faith, multi-heritage as a way of acknowledging the distinct um, identities that often come together. I'm not sure if that's you know, ultimately um, the right language either, but one term in particular that I always find um, myself and others tripping up on, um, the term non-Jew is woefully inadequate to be using still in these conversations. We convey when we use that, that this, this idea that we're at the center of the universe and anybody who's not us is, is non-us, non-Jewish. And, and I have had many conversations about needing better language there. Have you come up with anything? You know, we often um, just try and A, use the language of the couples and families that we work with. So lead with that. Um, you know, I often just simply identify folks as they want to be identified, right? So if they identify as Catholic, uh, even though they don't actually uh, practice their Catholicism or um, have any other uh, spiritual identity other than sitting in synagogue, um, being a vibrant member of a synagogue community, then that's that's the identity that that uh, that we use. So I think really asking the people in front of you, uh, front and foremost. But I agree with you that language is so limiting here because um, because I think it does us a disservice. I think and and how we imagine interfaith couples and families in Jewish life, because I think um, just the term, whether it's multicultural or multi heritage. It's so one-dimensional and doesn't get at the complexity of identities that 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 we see and I know you see um, of folks connected to Jewish life. So, Jody, just for, just briefly, 18 Doors offers educational programs, yep. holiday resources. What tell us just specifically some of the things you do? Sure. So we have a really robust website um, with lots of Jewish resources around. Um, around how to celebrate holidays and different cultural traditions, lots of stories from other interfaith couples and families. We have um, robust programs that we offer. We've offered uh, at least a hundred different programs this year. And they're, they're everything from cultural and uh, religious um, types of programs to more social in nature, to those that are part of our flagship program, Couples in Conversation for Interfaith Couples to get to know one another and um, in, a, in a conversation facilitated by a rabbi to get to know a rabbi also uh, about how they might navigate their Jewish journey and their spiritual journeys together um, to our Jewish clergy officiation and referral service which connects couples or families with rabbis and cantors uh, for life cycle events, for conversion, for uh, counseling. And then lastly, uh, we do um, professional development for Jewish organizations and leaders who want to be more inclusive, welcoming of interfaith couples and families. And uh, so we do a number of different trainings, uh, both online and in person when, uh, when of course the pandemic's uh, Right. gets back to, uh, gets us all back to normal. Uh, and that that's really um, those between our programs or resources and the referral service. That's really um, the bulk of what we're doing. Such important work, such important work. And as I hear you describe, you're almost uh, like a community um, for, for the people who use your, you know, your resource as well, which is beautiful. You know, Jody, people say, um, there's a lot of um, misimpressions out there that we are um, a people who is just in the last, I don't know, 
hundred years become as diverse as where we've always been an incredibly diverse people, but it is arguable that we are more diverse today perhaps than, uh, than we have been in the past. How would you assess the state of the Jewish community at this moment with respect to our work on being more inclusive of multi-faith, multi-heritage, multi-racial individuals and families? What would you say have been our most significant successes? What are the most enduring challenges? Um, what do you think motivates those communities that have become more embracing? And what would you describe as the strongest sources of resistance? Yeah, yeah, great questions. You know, I, we have come such a long way. There's no doubt about it, right? Um, we know more rabbis officiate at the weddings of interfaith couples um, than ever before. We know uh, we have more than 700 of those who are part of our own Jewish clergy officiation referral service. Um, and, and we know that there are more rabbis generally who are interested in this type of inclusion work as part of the rabbinate. Um, we have a, a rabbinic fellowship program and we've selected two cohorts for the, for the Rukin rabbinic fellowship program so far. And in each, we've had three times as many applicants as we had spots. So we know just, you know, Jewish leaders are, um, are, are looking for this information and also really um, becoming, I think, more open to thinking about it in inclusive ways. So that's one piece. And, and then when you look at historic trends, you see more interfaith couples and families in each generation are exploring Jewish life. So more millennials um, than Gen Xers, more Gen Xers than, than boomers, and so on and so forth. And, and also choosing to connect their children to Jewish life and Jewish identity. And I think that's a direct result of Jewish communities providing and being more inclusive spaces, right? That's um, front, front and center. But then on the flip side, there's so much more to do, both in terms of policy and in, in changing kind of the hearts and minds of Jewish people. So, I, you know, as you know, most rabbinic seminaries don't admit or ordain Jewish applicants who are married to spouses who aren't Jewish. And as you know, the conservative movement won't permit its rabbis still to officiate at weddings of interfaith couples. And, and that's challenging because on the, policy, on the policy side, it continues to kind of reinforce the notion that interfaith couples are suboptimal in Jewish life. And, and so it follows then that like more troubling that the attitudes of lots of people in Jewish life um, they still view interfaith couples as something to be tolerated and not something to be celebrated. And so when you look at kind of what, what the motivation of folks who are connected um, to interfaith families and who take an inclusive stance, um, I think one of the things I look at is I look at the fight for LGBTQ equality and um, that when people found out that someone uh, that they knew was gay, that that was a game changer, right? So that the people then were more accepting of LGBTQ equality because their neighbor or their uncle or their sister or their daughter was gay. And I think the same can be true uh, and is true of interfaith families, that when someone knows someone who's part of an interfaith couple or part of an interfaith family, that then that then has um, the result of opening their hearts and minds 
to, um, to the experiences of those interfaith couples and to being more inclusive of them. And I think that that tends to be a game changer. And then on the flip side, just kind of the resistance um, that, that occurs in Jewish life, I think is so multifaceted. And um, I think among white Ashkenazi Jewish culture, uh, it, there's, there continues to be kind of a, a tribalist nature and uh, often a resistance to anyone who is not, uh, that doesn't look a certain way or um, you know, act a certain way. And I think that, that that's, the, that's kind of what we're fighting up against and, and where there's, there's still a lot of work to do. You know, my, my hope also um, is that as we um, become more comfortable in a society that is more of a hybrid, fluid, um, sort of not either or, but both and kind of framework, um, that more and more people will realize that it's not a zero-sum setup with respect to our relationship to multi-faith families or to people from beyond the Jewish community who make their home um, in the Jewish community. And that notwithstanding the variety of halachic commitments that people may have or um, cultural you know, um, um, identities that people may have, that there are ways to be inclusive and welcoming and respectful that allow people to still stay firm in their own values and their own um, identities. And, and that would go a long way also to dialing down some of the fear um, and dialing up some of the, the love. Um, in your experience, Jody, when someone marries into another faith or another cultural community, what are the most important resources that keep them grounded in their identity, even as they're building a life and maybe starting a family with somebody from another background? Is it most important to have a compassionate religious community, a supportive family, a network of welcoming friends? Right? What are the ways that we can um, support people in these relationships? Yeah, I mean, I think at its core, it's so simple, right? I think it's acceptance wherever it's coming from. Uh, at 18 Doors, we've found often that, that couples are looking for two things. One, other couples like them that they can bounce ideas off of, that they can learn from, that they can do things with. And then second, um, and that they can do that without feeling different or feeling othered, um, that there's, it, it's just, um, it's just everybody in it together. Um, and then the second piece that there's a rabbi or a religious leader who's, who accepts them as they are and, um, and with whom that they can have, have deep, meaningful conversations, that they can explore Jewish life together, that they can ask questions without, again, feeling um, othered or uh, judged somehow. And I think those two pieces uh, we found at 18 Doors are, um, are absolutely uh, critical. And, um, and, and for many people, they don't, they don't have both of those things uh, or they have one, but not the other. Um, I, you know, I think certainly families leading with love and acceptance is always paramount. 
Um, but ultimately, I think it's it's a community with which uh, they can figure out their spiritual identities and their commitment to Jewish life, and um, and that it starts there. That that we are a people who do things in community, and for interfaith couples and families, it's no different. You remind us that it's uh, in, in part there's a role for policy, in part there's a role for the immediate family, but there's also a role for all of us to play in, in building the kinds of communities that you just spoke about that are, that are loving and embracing and keeping people rooted in their Jewish identity, even as their families may be, may be more diverse. Very important message. Jordi, I wanna talk about grandparents for a few minutes. Among the various issues that arise in multi-faith or multi-heritage families are the concerns that grandparents sometimes feel about their heritage being transmitted to their grandchildren, as well as finding the right dynamic with their own children and children-in-law, um, the parents of their grandchildren, in terms of how sharing that Jewish heritage with their grandchildren is you know, going to be the most comfortable, let's say, in that family. What might you share with grandparents who are negotiating these issues? What kinds of resources does 18 Doors offer grandparents who are negotiating these issues? Yep. So first, I would say, again, it is, it, you know, it, it's, it's more complicated than this, and it is also simple as this, to lead with love and acceptance, and to leave, lead with an open heart, uh, and, um, and, and a vulnerability to saying, uh, to speaking your truth and, and being open to your, um, your adult children or grandchildren uh, being in conversation with you about what can be really, um, really gut-wrenching conversations and topics. Uh, and then the second thing I would say is, is um, we are here to help and 18 Doors has a number of resources we um, over the years have uh, built up a good amount of content on our website about uh, stories from other families and how they've navigated tough issues. Um, and then recently this past year, we've begun doing grandparents programs because we know what an integral part they play in Jewish life and in the relationships with adult children and grandchildren. And so we've been piloting some, some conversations led by grandparents for grandparents. And uh, early next year, we'll be launching an email series specifically for grandparents that will have um, stories uh, from grandparents about how they've navigated um, the difficulties or the challenges that have arisen, as well as conversation starters and other activities that, um, that grandparents can do with both their adult children and with their grandchildren to begin to have open, honest conversations about, uh, about their commitment to Jewish life and about um, their interfaith couples and families in their midst and how they can all navigate that using um, love and acceptance as, as kind of the first step uh, into, into what will be a lifelong journey. Jody, I want to go back for just a minute um, and um, ask a follow-up question on your, your comment on, on what it means to be an inclusive community. Um, ask you for a little bit of uh, consulting advice. Here we are. You know, we, we of course, at Shahar are a very welcoming, very inclusive community. And as you heard in my opening remarks, um, you know, as a rabbi, um, I feel very committed 
to facilitating multi-faith and multi-heritage families finding a home in the Jewish world. Um, what, what is the more powerful statement to, to have programs that are explicitly directed towards, um, towards families that are multi-faith? You mentioned several times the importance of people being able to see themselves in others. Um, is, it, is it important to sort of name that space and create that space, or is it more important to simply be a community that speaks a consistent message about diversity and about inclusion? And I realize, of course, that those are not mutually exclusive, but you know, not for example, you use the, the parallel of the LGBTQ journey. Um, you know, not every LGBTQ Jewish couple wants to belong to a gay synagogue. Um, but simply wants to, or, or is looking for programming for right gay Jewish families, but just wants to be in a community that loves and accepts them. Where are we on that journey with uh, multi-faith families? I mean, I, you know, I think this is absolutely like a both and, because I think you will, in the same way, um, in, other, in other kind of traditionally marginalized populations, sometimes there, there needs to be and couples and families have a need for space that is specific for them, right? Specific to them so that there can be the conversations, they can have conversations uh, about maybe things that come up in interfaith couples or families that don't come up in Jewish Jewish families, right? So there ought to be space for that to happen and for those conversations um, to happen in a, in a meaningful way. And also interfaith couples and families just want to be part of, of Jewish life and community many times and want to be part of programs where they know that they will be accepted for who they are as they are. And so speaking that ongoing message of inclusion and commitment to diversity and commitment to um, everybody having a seat at the table is important. So I think, you know, I think you're, you, you're absolutely right. The, both of those pieces are important in any inclusive Jewish community. Um, and, and the other thing that I will say is for interfaith couples and families, I think this time in particular has been so meaningful because all of a sudden it doesn't, um, we've, we've lowered the barrier to entry into Jewish life and community because all of a sudden uh, we don't have to take the often very scary step of walking into an institution, which um, is is so rife with with um, you know there's just so much that can come about, right? There's yeah. so much fear. There's so much uh, that often exists. Maybe you don't you know walk into space where you don't know anyone. You don't right. know if you're going to be judged or accepted. Uh, and now we can we can do it from the comfort of our own home and it's a lot less scary and I think that that has been uh, and, and will be shown to be a pivotal moment uh, in Jewish life for interfaith couples and families in particular and uh, I'm, I'm excited about where we go from here. That is so interesting I'm so glad you shared that because it also leaves us with the important charge of making sure that post-COVID um, and we will be post-COVID um, that we remain the open, welcoming, loving, uh, embraceive communities that we wish to be. Let me ask you one last question, Jody. Given this tense moment, it's a, it's a tense moment because of the pandemic, of course, and so many other stressors, societal and political, that we're living through. Is our 
country wrestles with such deep dividedness. What can your work and your experience share in terms of how to bridge the gulfs of fear and mistrust that too often tear families apart, tear communities apart, instead of using difference to enrich and strengthen them? We, we have to lead with open hearts. And I think that this is where interfaith couples have been doing this for, for generations. And uh, we've been navigating the difficult conversations. We've been approaching things where we uh, put our, our relationships first and center those relationships in the midst of, of figuring out our spiritual identities or religious identities. And so on a micro level, interfaith couples and families have been navigating difference for hundreds of years. And so I think we have a lot to teach the broader world about how to do that um, and maintain your sense of self, your sense of own identity, as well as your identity uh, as part of a couple or a family. And I think that there are just so many lessons there that, um, that interfaith couples and families have to teach um, in this moment in particular. Um, and chief among them is just kind of leading with, again, love and acceptance and open hearts and a sense of um, openness to the experiences of people different from uh, the experiences that you've had growing up and, uh, and to be, to allow yourself to be influenced by those experiences in a way that will um, ultimately change all of us uh, while at the same time allowing us to, to retain our center, if you will. Jody, I want to thank you so much for spending time with us tonight. You've, you've taught us a lot, you've inspired us, and fundamentally, I'm just so grateful for the work you do to unfold the richness of our people's diversity in a spirit of respect, in a spirit of, of welcome, in a spirit of love. And um, the one thing, if I may, just sort of add to your, to your beautiful last sentence is that not only will that allow us to be open to other people while still trying to true to ourselves, but it will bring out, I think, the essence of the message of our tradition itself, which we learn right from the beginning of our sacred stories through the values and ethics as we've been wrestling with them throughout the millennia. What it means to be a people of welcome and of respect, to, to embody a tradition of love and, and of acceptance, and to live covenantally with others. Um, so. I, Thank you for bringing all that to us tonight and uh, please stay safe, stay healthy. And I look forward to Sha'ar and 18 Doors uh, continuing to partner and, uh, and bringing more of that love to the world, learning from you. Likewise, thank you so much. The pleasure was mine. Thank you, done.
I got by with a lot of help from you, Dan. That was stunning. I want to tell you um, another story about how I made my way on this journey that we're talking about tonight in terms of creating inclusive communities for multi-faith and multi-heritage families. For the first 10 years of my rabbinate, I was trained to believe that my mandate was to inspire people to emulate my religious and spiritual commitments. I was supposed to be the model. My rabbinic education trained me to believe that if I officiated at an event that didn't conform to my halachic principles, it would be as if I was condoning everything that was happening there. Around life cycles events, it meant that families had to adhere to my religious observance or I'd be unable to officiate. As an odd outcome, often I ended up being stricter than my Chabad colleagues. And while there are many factors that contribute to the shifts that we all undergo in life, the changes in my own, coming out as a gay woman 18 years ago to a Jewish world that had not quite yet mastered inclusivity, raising six children with my wife, Andy, all of that moved me to have much more empathy for those in supposedly non-conventional families who were yearning for community, as well as though for those who were living in non-conventional Jewish lives who were yearning for acceptance in a way that respected the integrity of their choices, of their beliefs and their values. I began to understand that many such people weren't rejecting their Judaism or even what we might call traditional Jewish values, but were simply approaching them in different and new ways. I became attuned to the number of people standing at our doorways, standing at our gateways, peeking in, yearning to see themselves mirrored back in communal gatherings and to know that there was a place for them amongst us. Many years ago, a family came to me buckling under the strain of their 12-year-old son finally emerging from years of emotional and social struggles by transitioning to become the girl that he always felt he was. On top of the obvious challenges for the parents and their two older children, their conservative shul where they had belonged for years and where they had celebrated the children's B'nai Mitzvah informed them at that time that under the circumstances, the synagogue could not allow their soon-to-be daughter to celebrate what would now be her bat mitzvah in their community. Feeling scorned, feeling rejected, feeling in deep pain, they came to Sha'ar. And we opened ourselves to them and offered them a spiritual home and a loving and supportive community without judgment or prejudice. And most importantly, we renewed the family's understanding of their Judaism as a compassionate and relevant and healing framework for the complexity and diversity of life in the 21st century. But that, as some of you know, I've told this story before, was not the end of the story. As the bat mitzvah approached and we all assumed that I would be officiating, we began to plan the Shabbat Mincha service. And the bumps in the road that we had traveled together began to surface. I was working on the ceremony directly with the mother, was a strong and creative, artistic woman, a poet and a writer, a mother whose strength awed me. She was also emphatic about certain things that she wanted for her now daughter's bat mitzvah. Photography and videography on Shabbat to capture this courageous moment in her life freedom to alter and edit the liturgy and the service itself to reflect the family's personal beliefs and creative spirit and the option to serve non-kosher food. They were devoted and proud Jews, but they were not ritually observant and were not about to pretend to be for anyone. They were a tight and devoted clan who had been through so much and felt that they needed to do things their way and to be as authentic to themselves as possible. After one especially tough conversation where I tried to explain the meaning behind the traditions that I felt bound to represent at their celebration, 
The mother turned to me and said words that echo within me to this day. You are our rabbi, Dini. We admire you and we are grateful to you, but I am my family's spiritual leader. In other words, she was the authority who would decide what was meaningful and appropriate for her family. In the end, they hired another rabbi to officiate at the bat mitzvah, and I was one of the invited guests with a small role to play. The service was beautiful, it was heartfelt, and still I felt a profound loss for myself and for the family. Sadly, our relationship has never been the same, but I learned so much from it and so much from them. And the story became a seminal moment in my rabbinate to which I return again and again as it informs so many of the decisions that I make today as a rabbi. I came to realize, I know many of you have heard me say this many times, I came to realize that my success is not gonna be measured by how many people I turn into me by convincing them to lead the Jewish life to which I devote myself, but rather the fulfillment of my purpose, the, the fulfillment of my mission as a rabbi will be measured on how able I am to help people, to educate, inspire, and motivate people to become the best versions of their own Jewish selves, guiding them to make educated and thoughtful decisions about how to live as a proud, authentic, and responsible Jew in their own way. As the Jewish world and as Jewish families continued to become more diverse and complex, it was this renewed understanding of myself and of my rabbinate that led me to begin to rethink our community's historic stance against rabbis performing weddings for couples who are intermarrying. I yearned for a definition of pluralism that encompassed not just my ability to make room for others in my space, but one that made room for what others truly needed from me as well. A community wide enough to be inclusive of diverse Jewish narratives while still being able to articulate basic Jewish values and commitments relevant to all of those narratives. To secure these couples' ongoing devotion to Judaism, I felt it was important to be present to acknowledge their love and the choices they were making while sending a clear message also that we want and we invite and we expect their continued involvement in our communities. To the Jewish partner, I want to convey the importance of their ongoing Jewish commitments. Falling in love and marrying someone from another community doesn't absolve someone of their Jewish responsibilities. To the partner of another culture or faith, I wanted to offer a warm and genuine welcome and even a note of gratitude as they commit to establishing a Jewish home and raising Jewish children and to model an approach to Judaism that is meaningful and compelling enough to spark in them a deeper interest in the community that they're joining. The responses from the couples and families with whom I've worked has been overwhelming. And it's not just about being thankful that I was willing to show up. After one wedding, the Jewish bride's parents' faces shone as they introduced me to friends craving not only the same Jewish spirit at their own children's upcoming intermarriages, but also for a rabbi to articulate the expectation that I had expressed during the ceremony that these couples remain connected to Judaism. They recognize that I'm not merely trying to accommodate reality, I'm trying to sanctify it and to imbue it with Jewish meaning. I have been so deeply moved by the couples I've met and the lives that I've been privileged to touch and to be touched by. At our first pre-wedding session, during which we spoke about the importance of acceptance, even as, as I explained the Jewish community's concerns about continuity, one non-Jewish Mexican-American groom who had pledged to make a Jewish life with his fiance, 
spoke of being welcomed so warmly by her traditional Jewish family, especially by her grandfather, who was a survivor of the Shoah, and who, once he realized how serious the relationship was, sat his future grandson down and shared with him the details of his tragic story. With all of this love and this trust shown to him, this groom expressed to me that he now feels the deepest responsibility to carry forward his new family's Jewish identity and to ensure the continuity of their story for generations to come. Many years later, he is now the proud father of two children being raised to express that same pride in their Jewish heritage. While historically the focus of Jewish teaching and leadership has been on Jews with the goal of reinforcing and deepening Jewish identity, the times we are living in, presenting us with an opportunity to fulfill our ancient mandate to bring Jewish wisdom and spirit to the world around us. It's providing us with broader opportunities for Judaism to help shape families and communities and societies beyond our historic boundaries. Well, as a community rabbi, my passion is to live and to lead a Judaism that is filled with wisdom and compassion and spirit and courage, relevance and integrity on a person-to-person -person level. My fundamental mission, and by extension that of our communities in partnership with me and with one another, is to facilitate people discovering and living their deepest truths and most sacred callings in the service of building an olam chesed, a world of compassion, a world of welcome, a world of love.
Done. I asked everyone to name that tune and Miriam used her unfair advantage <laughs> and named it. It's beautiful. I want to welcome you all uh, again to Ground Waves. If you're here for the first time, we're so happy that you've joined us. Um, please put your email address in the chat so that we can add you to our distribution list and make sure that you receive information about some of our upcoming programs. Um, I want to remind everybody that Ground Waves will be on vacation next week, so we will not be gathering on December 28th, but we will be back the following week on January 4th when we'll be hosting Dr. Jennifer Ashton, who is the Chief Medical Correspondent for ABC News and Good Morning America. We'll be talking with Dr. Ashton about the rollout of the vaccine and about her new book on resilience in a time of uh, the pandemic. We're going to be hosting in the weeks following Dr. Ashton um, such guests as Dr. Shuli Rubin Schwartz, who is the new chancellor of the Jewish Theological Seminary, the first woman to, uh, to be in that role, and Rabbi Sandra Lawson, who's the associate chaplain for Jewish life at Elon University, who in 2018 became the first openly gay female black rabbi in the world. Many, many other fascinating guests who will be joining us um, uh, in the in the new year. Our Justice Beit Midrash is also on vacation for the next two Wednesdays. We'll be back on Wednesday, January 6th, when we will continue to delve deeply into texts, ancient and modern, Jew Jewish and uh, from other wisdom sources on the issues of race, income inequality, healthcare, housing, climate, and so much more. I just want to invite you also to save the date for January 2nd, uh, the first Shabbat of the new year, where we'll be gathering for a Shabbat morning service at 10 a.m. Watch for our full Shabbat schedule um, for the next six months, which will be coming out um, in our regular emails very soon. We're going to be meeting twice a month, as always, with the first Shabbat of the month dedicated to a Shabbat morning service. It has been simply an extraordinary six months here at Sha'ar. It has been incredibly active, dynamic, fun, exciting. Um, and I hope you'll also feel um, that we have been a source of, of comfort to one another and deep fellowship during such a frightening and uncertain time. I want you to know how grateful we are that you've been on this journey with us. And we appreciate so much your support, um, especially as this uh, end of year season is coming to a close. We appreciate you keeping Sha'ar in mind. For those of you who have already contributed to our community, please know how much we appreciate your support. With everyone's support, we can continue to bring you the unique and creative Sha'ar programs filled with powerful content, with great talent, and with the kind of special encounters that we have been bringing you in the effort to build a 21st century Jewish life and to keep our gates wide open to all who are seeking uh, Jewish community, Jewish wisdom, Jewish purpose from the many, many different pathways that we are all journeying on. So I invite you to visit our website where there are instructions. You can donate online or send in a check. Just please know how grateful we are for the community that we are building together. So our closing kavanah tonight, I bring you two short meditations on love. This one from Khalil Gibran from his book, The Prophet. Let there be spaces in your togetherness and let the winds of the heavens dance between you. Love one another, but make not a bond of love. Let it rather be a moving sea between the shores of your souls. Fill each other's cup, but drink not from one cup 
Give one another of your bread, but eat not from the same loaf. Sing and dance together and be joyous, but let each one of you be alone. Even as the strings of a lute are alone, though they quiver with the same music. Give your hearts, but not into each other's keeping, for only the hand of life can contain your hearts. And stand together, yet not too near together, for the pillars of the temple stand apart, and the oak tree and the cypress grow not in each other's shadow. Finally, on this night of the winter solstice, we close with the words of Rumi, the 13th century Sufi poet. He said, tonight is the night. It is the creation of that land of eternity. It is not an ordinary night. It is a wedding of those who seek unity. Tonight, the bride and groom speak in one tongue. Tonight, the bridal chamber is looking particularly bright. Thank you, Jody. See you all in two weeks time. Stay safe, stay healthy. Anyone who wants to stick around for a few minutes just to say hello, feel free to not log off just quite yet. Those of you who need to, I love you all. I miss you. See you soon. Laila Tov, everyone. <laughs>